Well, what a privilege to, uh, to be here with you folks. Uh, we were driving over, and uh, Carol and I were talking, and I, we came in. I said, man, I tell you, the, the memories that uh, flood my mind. I've been out here during the week for various things uh, through the years, but uh, I think this is the first time on a Lord's Day that I've been here in 30-some-odd years at least. Um, I think it was about 40 years ago I can remember walking this property and seeing it and saying, this would be a great place for this church. And uh, God worked in an amazing way, if you know the story, to get that property. And Anyway, it's been, a, it's been a blessing to be connected with this place through these many, many, many years. I think it was uh, uh, probably seven or eight years after that that uh, each church particularized, or each congregation did, and, and so certainly hadn't had the same contact, but certainly have kept up uh, with you through the years and thankful for your ministry. Now, I get the privilege to pick my subject matter. Now, when, uh, when you go somewhere and you're asked to preach and they say, preach on whatever you want to, uh, what would you preach on if you had that responsibility? You would probably pick the single subject matter text in your opinion, which would be the most potent of all texts or subject matter. And that's what I do. Every time I go, and I shouldn't say every time, but most every time that I go to a church that I have never preached in before, this is the message that I'm going to give. I've given this many, many times because I believe in it with all my heart. It has to do with appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. I know many of you are in journey groups and uh, you have been introduced to this whole subject matter. Here's what I've learned. I've been meeting with a handful of men every year now for I think it's 50, I'm in my 53rd year, I think, now consecutively doing that. And, and each year, I have an uh, opportunity to go over this again and again. And I keep guys typically for about three years, as many of you are in groups doing the same. And, and I know this, I get to year three, and I teach it again, and I see lights coming on saying, ah, oh, I know I've heard it before, but oh. So if you heard this before, I'm glad you're hearing it again. If you've never heard this subject matter, this is an important day for you, I will assure you. The topic is on the Holy Spirit, appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. I entitled it, uh, The Deceit of Willpower. The Deceit of Willpower. I'll say this, the whole subject matter of the Holy Spirit is one that is in great controversy today. And I know that many great churches, many churches that truly are in love with Christ, that believe the gospel with all their heart, uh, but for whatever reason, they avoid the subject matter of the Holy Spirit because of all of the contradictions and the bad teachings that come with it so often. And that's a danger. You don't want to do that. I grew up in a, uh, in a, a church that was uh, one that became PCA later uh, when I was in my high school years. And there they started Campus Crusade for Christ, the first high school ministry of Campus Crusade began in our little high school in a small place in Alabama, of all places. Do you know what we heard all the time, over and over and over again? We heard Bill Bright, the president and founder. Wherever I'd go to a conference, wherever they, they would teach it in the small groups, but it'd say, the power of God's Spirit. You watch great movements of God. You see where God's doing great things. You're going to hear the Holy Spirit. And we need to hear it. We need to hear it with biblical root. We need to understand what God is saying about this important subject matter. Our text, if you have your Bibles, is in Romans chapter 6. 
It's going to be 1 through 13. Because of time, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read the entire text. I'm going to pull some verses from the text, and I'm going to give you the context, and then I'm going to ask you if you will. I want you to go home today, sometime during this Lord's Day, I want you to read verses 1 through 13 after you've been introduced to what I'm sharing. And see if the text in full doesn't even come alive further. All right? Now, there are three statements that I'm going to make. I should ask you first. Are you a people that kind of just sit there quietly and won't say anything? Or if I ask you to kind of respond to a question, would you interact with me? Is that possible? Oh, you just told me, you just told me you were willing. That's what I wanted to find out. When people don't say anything, I said, I got my answer. All right. All right, I'm going to give you three statements. They're in your bulletin. They're printed in your bulletin. Three statements. The first two are going to be so basic, you can't get more basic in God's Word than these first two. They're going to be very brief, but I have to make sure we're all in agreement with what God says about these two. Then we're going to turn to number three, and we're going to spend more time there, and that's going to take us into a great depth of this wonderful truth. All right, so here is the first of three statements. Number one, there are two kinds of people in the world, two kinds of people. So I'm going to give you the name of the first kind of people. The Bible says everybody's one of the two. I'm going to give you the first one, and then I want to see, do you know the second one, all right? If one is the natural man, man referring to mankind, natural man, what would the second be? The spiritual man, all right? So the natural and the spiritual man. Everybody got that? Only two kinds of people. When you come into this world, you're a natural person. You come to faith, you become a spiritual person. So don't think of the spiritual person as the one that's got it all together. They figured out the Christian faith. They're walking maturely. Uh, That includes them. But everyone who is a true Christian is a spiritual person. All right? Now let's go to the natural man. The natural man is in a particular person, meaning in the likeness of a particular person. Do you know what the name of that man is? He's in Adam. Very good. He is in Adam, in the likeness of Adam. Adam, the first person. When Adam and Eve sinned, now all people are in their likeness. They are in Adam. Now, when they're in Adam, how many natures do they have? I'm going to give you two options, one or two. How many natures does the person in Adam have? One nature. Everybody needs to know that. Just one nature. It is a sin nature. Together? We all right? Got that? All right. Very basic. Now, let's go to the spiritual person. The spiritual person is in someone else. Who are they in? They're in Christ. They're in the likeness of Christ. That's when we talk about people righteous in Christ because we're in His likeness who is righteous. We become righteous at the moment of salvation. So, in Christ. Now, in Christ, he is, by the way, called, has a nickname. He's called the second Adam. Isn't that interesting? He is the second Adam. Jesus is. Now, how many natures 
does the spiritual person have? Two natures. Natural person, one nature. In Christ now, two natures. So we finish the first, just a basic foundation. Let's go to number two. There are two certainties that are true of every spiritual person. So we're going to put aside the natural person for a minute, and let's just talk about the spiritual person. If you're a Christian here, we're referring to you. What is true of you if you're a Christian? If you're a seeker, you're trying to figure out, you're seeking answers to the faith, trying to figure out what is Christianity? Is it for me? What is, if you are here thinking in those terms, let me tell you, this is an important subject matter for you. Because you're going to find out that being a Christian is not just I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to try to do what he wants me to do now. No, no, no. You're coming into his likeness. And then there's a power that's waiting for you. So, two certainties true of every spiritual person. Here is the first one. Every spiritual person is sealed, S-E-A-L-E-D, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, having believed, that means trusted in Christ, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Which means the Holy Spirit somehow mystically becomes a part of who we are, indwells us as we call it. And we have that Spirit from that moment till the moment we leave this earth. We carry the Spirit with us everywhere we go. We may be disobedient to the Spirit, but the Spirit is within us, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing true. Every spiritual person has the capability, hear that, it doesn't mean it's true, but it has the capability of being true that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, F-I-L-L-E-D, filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14, all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, led of the, by the Spirit, this means the very same thing as being filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, it says, walk in the Spirit, hear this one, walk in the Spirit, means be filled with the Spirit, they're all synonymous to each other. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, do you know what the desires of the flesh are? That's any sin. Do you hear what God's Word is telling us? Saying, look, you be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's the way you'll put to death the sins that are in your life. You want to deal with your sin? That's how you do it. So let me ask you. Don't raise your hand. Don't participate now. Anybody hate somebody else? Any of you here got this sense somebody has hurt you, wounded you so deeply, so wrongly, and everything in you wants to hurt them, wants to fight back, wants to do something mean and spiteful in return? And then you begin to realize that God says, oh, no, 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 no. You're supposed to love your enemy. Please don't show your hand here. Anybody in a place with your spouse where you say, I hate my spouse. I can't get along with my spouse. I don't like my spouse. And then you read the Word of God and it says, husbands, love your wife. And we're supposed to love as wives our husbands. 
How many of us say, I can't do that? I, I don't know how I would ever do that. Or let me ask you this. Anybody here find yourself in despair? Hopelessness. Just where you say, there's no hope for me. I'm, I, there's nothing left. There's a sense of life-crushing circumstances have just now won the battle. And then you read in the Word of God, and it tells us over and over to have joy. Have joy? Oh, I, I can have joy. Anybody wake up, middle of the night, can't go back to sleep, and as you're laying there, just sense that there's anxiety that's just gripping every thought. And you're saying, and then the Bible says, oh, by the way, peace I leave to you. Have peace. How many Christians say, I wish I could do all of those things, but I just can't do it. Then we come across a text in Galatians chapter 5, when you come to verse 22, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. You know what it says? And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And then it carries on with the fruit of the Spirit. You see, God didn't intend us to be able to love those we hate. Not going to happen. He doesn't intend us with our willpower to be able to say, I'll just right now, in spite of my circumstances, I'm going to have joy. That's what I'm going to do. In fact, I'm going to have a lot of peace right now. Though anxiety is gripping every inch of my body, you know what I mean? I'm just going to have peace right now. It's not going to happen. Can it happen? Absolutely. Church members. I am convinced how many church members I've talked to over the years, particularly when I would do more counseling in earlier years. I'd come and I'd meet with a couple and I'd say, what's the problem? I said, we just can't get along. We hate each other. We're this, that, and the other. I can't love them. I can't this. I can't that. And I said, let me ask you a question. You say you can't love each other. Let me ask you this. Are you a Christian? No, of course I'm a Christian. Do you really love the Lord? You really know the Lord? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I look at them and I say, look, don't you ever again say you can't love your spouse. What you can say is this. Either one, I won't love my spouse, but probably more likely you don't know how to love your spouse. You just don't know how. Because you're holding on to this thing called willpower. And you're saying, Jesus, I'm a Christian. I will do it. I can do it. I'm convinced most Christians are powerless in their Christian life because they live only with willpower. We have a, um, we have a security staff at our church. And uh, this was several years ago. Still, still does. It's still there. And uh, one morning I was coming in early. And for the first time I saw him arriving and didn't realize he... He rides a bike to our campus every day when he works. And I see him coming in on this bicycle, and I said, well, wow, that's pretty impressive. Did you come from your home? He said, oh, yeah, I came from my home. Where do you live? And he told me where he lived. Man, that's a long way from here. You came on a bike? He said, yeah, I did. I said, and knowing the topography in all of our area, I go, and you, you had to cover some hills. And, and he didn't look like a, one of these fitness guys, you know, that's just working out all the time. And so I'm, I'm impressed. And I said, well, I just have to tell you, I'm quite impressed. He said, well, don't be. And I said, why? He said, look at my bike. I look over at the bike, and it's a sturdy bike, a little heavier than most maybe, but it has pedals, it has, 
you know, handlebars and the same, you know, so. And I said, what about it? He said, you see that little box down there by the pedals? I said, yeah. He said, that's a motor. (laughs) He said, you see that little handle switch there? I said, yeah. He said, that's the switch. You turn it on. He said, I can just coast down hills, and if I'm level, want to get a little exercise, but all I have to do is hit that button when I hit a hill. It carries me right up to the top. You know, the minute I heard that, I said, is that not the story of the Christian faith? You know what we do, folks? We wake up as followers of Jesus, and we're sincere. We love Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you today. I want to submit to you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you throughout the day. That is my pledge of intention. I'm going to do that. What happens? We start going through our day, and we hit that hill of temptation. And it's a steep hill of temptation. And we see it coming, and we say, oh, God, I promised you today, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to follow this temptation. And you give it everything you got, and you don't make it halfway up the hill. You're exhausted. You can't go any further. You get off. And what do you do? You say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Tomorrow when I hit this hill, I promise you I will get to the top. And you think about it long before. You see that hill coming. You say, now I'm going to really get ready. You get up all the speed you can. You get a little further, maybe. But you don't make it near the top. And you get off. You say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I told you yesterday I wouldn't. I didn't. But tomorrow I promise. And when that happens the third time, what do you do? You finally get off and say, I can't. I I can't overcome that temptation. I can't overcome the temptation to hate. I can't overcome the temptation to be in despair. I I can't overcome the the temptation of anxiety. I can't do it. I just can't do it. The same goes with lust. The same goes with selfishness. You name it. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that if I were to ask most Christians... In most churches, when's the last time that you consciously appropriated the power of God's Spirit? I think the vast, vast, vast majority would probably say, I don't even know what you're talking about. They say, well, certainly not this week or not today. or I, I, don't, I don't remember when. Now, is it possible, technically, is it possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit without consciously praying a prayer? I believe so. We're to pray without ceasing. I know that. But just use prayer as an example. Can you imagine that somebody who says, you know what, I pray without ceasing. Well, I don't remember the last time I consciously made a prayer to God. I'd say, I don't think that can be. And when I hear somebody say, I don't think I have ever, I can't remember appropriating the power of God's prayer. I don't even know how. I don't know what you're talking about. I say, I bet you hear somebody who is working hard using willpower, not God's intended plan for his people. Therefore, the third and final statement, and here's the big one. There are three important words found in our text that give understanding to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's to make it simple. The first of three words is the word know, K-N-O-W. There's something we need to know. We'll take you to three texts of Scripture that we have here. Verse 3, first of all. It says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Look at verse 6. 
knowing this, there it is again, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. So you read that even as you would if you read the entire 13 verses, most of you would probably read it in one sitting and go, huh, I wonder what that, I'm not really sure what that means. Well, here's what he's telling us. He's saying, Christian, there's some things you have to know. Do you know what he's saying here? You've got to know that you have died to your sin. There's the first thing. You've got to know, secondly, that you've been united with Christ. You have his spirit. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then you've got to know that you have been raised up in newness of life. That's what you're going to read in the text. He said, you just have to to know all of those things. We'll go back to verse 6 with me. Notice it says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. What do you think the old self is? What would you guess? What is it? The sin nature? Virtually every person would read that, and rightly so, I understand why. You'd read that and say, well, that's the sin nature. It really isn't. Do you know what the old self is? The old self is Randy before he became a Christian. You'll never see that again. Tim, before he became a Christian. You're never going to see Tim as a lost person again. That that person has been crucified, gone, never to see again. But notice as it reads on, in order that our body of sin, now there's your sin nature. Those are two different things that you're body of sin, and here's what misleads us, might be done away with. That doesn't mean being done away with. You have a study Bible, you look in the margin, it says actually, comma, and it says rendered powerless. That's what it means. That that old nature, oh, very much a part of who we are. It's still in us. But what's happened? Now, we have been released from that, and at this point, That old nature, it's still in us, but no longer has its domain the way it did. Body of sin, old nature, rendered powerless. Here's the best way I can help you understand this. I'm going to take my fist. This is me or you. This is the old nature at conception. Boom, this is what happens. We come into this world and you cannot get these two apart. That's when you're going to read in the text, we're a slave to sin, the sin nature. We're slaves. It's like this. You can't get away. Everything you do, even your best motives, your best everything, it's still sinful. Everything tainted by sin. That's what we call when we say being totally depraved. But you know what happens? It says, oh, that's true, but we die to that nature. Do you know what the word death means? It means separation. What, is, what happens? Well, at the minute of spiritual birth, at the very moment, this is what happens. Boom! They're separated. Still in me, still there, not gone. That's a very, very, very popular and poor, horrible theology that says that nature is gone. No, it's not. Therefore, you have Romans chapter 7. Here you've got these two in the same person, but no longer controlling still a part of me, but no longer controlling. Now, I don't have a third arm, so I'm going to have to assume this one still stays here. I'm going to use it again, okay? Then what happens? Here comes the Holy Spirit. And this happens simultaneous. Boom! I'm now sealed with the Holy Spirit. 
Now I'm a slave to him. I can be a disobedient slave, but I am his slave now. He has the power now, but that power has to be appropriated. That's the thing. And then raised up to newness of life. That's what happens. Now, the second word, or let me give you another illustration, then I'll go quick to the last two words. Imagine a pirate's ship. This will help you understand it. Imagine a pirate ship and it has an old, wicked, mean captain, Captain Jones. Everybody hates Jones. Jones is brutal, abusive. And they realize that, you know what, there is not one pirate on this ship that would take sides with him, mutiny. And so they choose before the night of mutiny, they say, let's choose a new captain. And they, they pick Captain Smith, one of the kindest, thoughtful, most thoughtful people. And they say, you're going to be the new captain. And they storm his quarters at night. They bind him up. They've got him ready to walk the plank. And as soon as he gets there, Captain Smith says, no, 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 no. Don't have him, don't have him drown here. Here's what's going to happen. We've got three days we're going to be at port. And when we come to port, we'll put him out and we'll never see him again. He has no authority now. He has no power. Let him free. Let him do what he wants to do. And so sure enough, what happens? They say, all right. And the new captain says, and by the way, for these three days, he's made you work every hour you're on this ship. You rest. Play games. Do what you want to do. Sleep. I don't care. And they're all rejoicing in that. And so a few of them are laying around playing cards and come around the corner. Here comes old Captain Jones. Captain Jones sees him and says, get up and swab that deck. And they jump up, they grab their pails, their mop, and they're just working in the heat and they're sweating. An hour goes by and finally here comes the new Captain Smith around the same corner and says, gentlemen, 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 what are you doing? Why are you working? I gave you bright. You don't need to be working. Oh, Captain Jones told us to. You see, it's Captain Jones who's saying, yeah, you lust for that, what you want. Yeah, you have reason. You have reason to hate that person. What they did to you? Oh, you can't have, you can't have joy now. Sure. But the new captain says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've been freed now. So the second word is the word consider. Look at verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That means to reckon or take into account. It says you've got to take into account you have died. You have been united to Jesus. You have been raised up to a newness of life. It's like I've been a, te- a big avid tennis player for many, many years, and I can remember playing a match, and, and uh, maybe I'm playing someone that I should easily beat. And uh, something's happened to my backhand, and I, for some reason it just won't go, and I can't hit that backhand. And I, I don't know what it is. And he feeds my backhand, feeds the backhand, and I get beat, and I go home, and I say, what was happening with my backhand? I get in the shower, perhaps. I'm in the shower, and I'm thinking, what was wrong with my backhand? And all of a sudden, right there in the shower, I go, oh, look where I had the head of my racket. You can't get on top of the ball from there. What was I thinking? Now tell me, did I learn something new in the shower? No. I had information, but I was not reckoning on it while I was playing. I didn't take it into account. And that's all he's saying is, Christian, yeah, you will have heard this, you will have read this, but let me tell you, we got leaking brains. It doesn't stay. Reckon on what you know. And that takes you to the third and final word, which is the word present. 
Look at verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Well, what's he saying there? Well, present the members. What are your members? Well, the members of your body, your eyes, what you look at, your ears, what you listen to, your mouth, what you say, your mind, what you think, your heart, where you put your, your treasure. I mean, every aspect of your being, he says, here's what you do. Think about it this way. Those first two words, if you want to make them simple, you know what he's saying? He says, you've got to remember. Remember what God has to say. Remember with the mind. Number two, surrender with the heart. People can remember the truths of God, but there's no surrender. They're never going to walk in the Spirit. They can surrender all they want. But without those great truths, you're not going to really be powered, empowered by God. It's when those come together. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us right here. It's know, consider, present. Let me close this out with a, a quick story. The story is when I was a young Christian student, walking with the Lord, really trying to follow hard. But uh, there was a man, I don't know, 15 years older than me uh, that uh, was an influence in my life for Christ. And, and I was with him a good bit, and I watched him, and I said, how does a person live this surrender to Christ? I've never seen It just amazed me. So you're like a dead man. You're a dead man walking. How do you do that? And this is what he said to me. He said, hey, do you do push-ups? I said, I do. And I did push-ups daily. And he said, uh, what's the maximum number of push-ups? I mean, truly, give me the max. I gave him a number. He said, let's assume that I'm a very, very, very wealthy man, have all the money in the world, and let's say that I say to you, I want you to see how many push-ups you can do. See if you can do that number of push-ups. And, uh, and oh, by the way, if you can do that number, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a million dollars. Really? So, okay, I'll do it. And I get down, and if it really is my ultimate max, you know what's going to be happening on that last one. It's going to be shaking and like this, you know. And he says, and then I lean over to you when you finally finish that one in delight thinking that, hey, I made it. Uh, I'll give you $2 million. I'll give you $2 million if you can do one more push-up. He said, do you think you could do that? I said, probably adrenaline would kick in, yeah. He said, you certainly try, wouldn't you? I said, yeah. And what would happen? Man, you're talking about shaking. You'd get to that last one and somehow you probably would. But it would be so hard. And I leaned down and I say, five million if you can do one more. Would you try? I said, well, sure. He said, you'd never make it though. About the time you bent your elbows, <laughs> chest would hit the ground. And you'd look up at me and you'd say, I can't. He says, when you come to that place in your Christian life where you start living life saying, God, I can't. I can't obey you. Not without your power. I need your power. Is it your will? Yes, but it's an empowered will. So you see there, there's a a very simple prayer. Resolved 
to consider what I know. This is what I pray literally every day. Not just once, but over through the day. This is my prayer. Resolve to consider what I know. And then I'll stop and say, I've died. I've been united. I've been raised again. And then I go and to present my life and its members. And I'll just say, okay, what are they? I present to you my eyes. I present to you my mouth. I present to you my hands, whatever, as instruments of righteousness. And then I say, God, I need your power today. And then God, I'm going to take it away. And I'll just surrender it again. I've got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, you be a people of God. Seeker, it all goes to the cross. We could not have the Spirit without the work of Christ. Christ went to the cross. He paid the penalty that we deserve. And now he can indwell our hearts and make us righteous because of what he did, not because of what we do. And so the gospel says, hey, it's Christ and Christ alone. But let's remember not just to take us into the place where now we're no longer slaves to sin, but now so we can obey the work of God's Spirit in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that we would be a people here who do just that, that we fight hard for you in our love relationship. We thank you and we pray that we might even now be filled with your Spirit as we would say, resolve to consider now what we know and we present to you the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. Let us see power simply little bit by little bit every day and watch through the years until we walk in a steadfast way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.